This episode is brought to you by Vanguard Wellness. Vanguard Wellness supports Canadian military veterans as they navigate their journey through psychedelic therapy to overcome PTSD and depression. I've personally gone through the treatment and I've had great success. As a veteran Vanguard, we can help those who suffer by providing education, guidance and support to ensure you have the most successful journey possible. Mental health isn't black and white, so why should your treatment be? Connect with us today at vanguardwellness.ca. Hi, I'm Trevor. And I'm Amy. Thank you for joining us on the Pathways to Healing podcast. Pathways to Healing is a podcast that showcases new and emerging therapies like psychedelic assisted therapy and other effective strategies that allow you to heal and live a more fulfilled life. Many of us have or will suffer from mental illness at some points in our lives. This is especially true in the veteran and first responder communities. From PTSD, depression, anxiety, and addiction, there are alternative therapies available. This is the Pathways to Healing podcast. On today's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Dominique Morizano. Dominique is a clinical psychologist, researcher, and consultant in the psychedelic industry. She recently co-founded the conference From Research to Reality, a global summit on psychedelic assisted therapies in medicine, which was the first of its kind and focused on moving psychedelic research to policy and practice. Dominique is a true rock star and has positioned herself at the forefront of the effort to legalize psychedelic therapy. Many therapists like Dr. Morizano are finding it hard to ignore the abundance of research on psychedelics in the last decade. For Dominique, she made the decision to step into the industry four years ago. In our conversation, we start out by discussing the story of what led her to investigate the healing potential of psychedelics and its therapeutic benefits. So I'm a clinical psychologist in uh, Ontario, New York, and uh, I've been practicing uh, independently since about 2009 um, and doing therapy for about 18 years. And my areas of specialty are trauma and addiction. Uh, and um, I'm also an adjunct professor at University of Toronto and University of Ottawa, and I teach uh, a psychedelic survey course at University of Ottawa and population health perspectives on addiction and mental health at University of Toronto. And in the last, uh, um, I would say six or seven months, I've been consulting as well with several psychedelics companies. And uh, before that, I was in executive leadership at a psychedelic company for a couple of years, uh, Field Trip Health. And so um, I decided to switch my career over from, uh, I would say, straight research and uh, teaching and practice in trauma and addiction to also uh, focusing on psychedelics probably about four years ago. I think a lot of different things uh, led me to move to incorporate psychedelics into, um, into or like think about the future of psychedelics and like think about how psychedelics could potentially transform my practice and other people's practices. Um, but 
In 2008, I had the opportunity to meet um, some of the researchers at Johns Hopkins. We were all doing our postdocs together in addiction psychiatry, um, and we became good friends. And I was researching cannabis and alcohol, and they were researching psilocybin. Um, and um, they were telling me about how uh, what the, what the kinds of things they were seeing with depression and uh, smoking and. Um, I was pretty intrigued, but I was also not ready to drop uh, what I was doing and and uh, and go on that train quite yet. Um, and then a few years later, I was working as a scientist in Toronto at, at Center for Addiction Mental Health. Um, and uh, my boss at that time told me he was um, going to be going to start doing ayahuasca research. And I was like, wait, what? when is happening? <laughs> Why is everyone doing this? And then I started, you know, I just, you know, I, I read the book. I mean, I, it's kind of, you know, I, I was doing a lot of work in mindfulness and meditation. And I know you had Sharon Salzberg on your podcast and I actually had the opportunity to go on a retreat with her in 2008. Um, and, uh, you know, I was so inspired uh, and uh, started incorporating meditation and yoga into my life at that point and into my mindfulness, into my practice. So this was another kind of like I started just reading. I was researching, reading, 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 reading until I was kind of like, OK, uh, what are you doing here? Um, and I found out there was a school for psychedelic therapy in California and I was like, that's, that's your next step. And I applied and I got in and there, and then I was on a fast, the speed train, I would say. Dominique is part of the global renaissance of psychedelics happening right now. Many therapists have been frustrated with the lack of effective therapies and many patients are discouraged by the length of time it takes to feel better. Certain pharmaceuticals like antidepressants are necessary at times but can act more like a Band-Aid and offer little healing potential for mental wounds. The research is so compelling, it's converting more clinicians every day. Luckily, Dominique and others can get involved knowing there is less stigma and they no longer have to worry about losing their license. One of the reasons it was so um, intriguing to me was because when I would be working with people in trauma therapy, you know, I would note that for some people, you know, they would get better. They would just get better over a period of I don't know, like six to 12 months um, when you incorporated uh, when when people were coming into me with like, let's just say comorbid or co-occurring disorders, like with substance use disorders and mental health issues. I noted that would it take longer, you know, often it would take like year, year and a half, two years to kind of have a full 180, you know. Um, but then some people, even with all of that, you know, we would get to like 90 percent recovery, like 90% of, I would say like them actualizing themselves, you know, and it was just like, no matter what we could do together, it was just, it was a bit stuck, you know, it just, you know, and so for those people in particular, like this is when I would incorporate meditation, exercise, all this other good things, like, but sometimes I would say, wouldn't it have been nice if we could have had a bit of a catalyst to help them kind of launch into the next part, you know, because when you're spending so many years, I mean, this stuff takes time, no matter, even with psychedelics, you know, but wouldn't it have been nice to have some quality of life years saved, you know, um, in that process? Uh, because I will say that when working with ketamine, you know, in particular, like I've seen months and months and months, um, you know, some people talk about the therapeutic bends. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that, like, um, 
achieving so much progress in such a short time that you actually need to kind of recover from that process. Um, but there's also the sake of, you know, if you could save yourself some years of suffering, um, uh, by getting into what is truly at the heart of what you're suffering from sooner, um, for some people, it could be useful. Yeah. Simply relying on prescriptions and talk therapy only goes so far. And I know what she means by feeling stuck. I'm sure our listeners do too. Mental illness is a global problem. In Canada, it affects more than 6.7 million people. The mental health system is broken and underfunded, and people are turned away every day. I know there are veterans who are desperate for help, but treatment centers have one to two year waiting lists. Imagine a future where we can have access to therapy that can make a meaningful difference in only a few sessions. Like Dominic said, psychedelics can act as a catalyst, getting to the heart of the problem sooner, saving years of suffering. One of the treatments that is legal in Canada is ketamine. So we wanted to ask Dominique what illnesses were good candidates for this medicine. In general, I mean, I think it's hard to say in general, because uh, I think different medicines have different potential for different, you know, kind of things. Um, but I would say uh, ketamine has a lot of potential for, you know, depression. Um, you know, right now it's, you know, people are mostly doing it with uh, treatment resistant depression. I think it has a lot of potential personally for moderate depression, you know, um, severe depression. I'm not necessarily one of the school that we have to try multiple antidepressants before we go there. Um, because I've seen the potential, you know, side effects and harms of antidepressants, you know, I've met with people that have literally been put through, I mean, just recently, like 10 antidepressants in a row, five to six week trials of each, you know, that's one version of, of hell, I would say, um, just kind of like waiting with no relief and no, um, so, so I think, I think that depression is, is a clear candidate. Um, I think addiction is a huge potential candidate. Um, I know there's some caveats with that, like around, you know, ketamine addiction itself and the, the type of administration. I'm not necessarily saying like, you know, send people home with lozenges, you know, but I think in the right context, I've seen ketamine be absolutely incredible for addiction issues. You know, people going from like drinking like 35 drinks a week to two in one week um, and staying that way for like eight months. People going from, you know, smoking three to five grams of weed a day down to two, down to one, down to half, down to nothing within two sessions of ketamine. I mean, it's it's actually like bonkers, in my opinion, um, to see the massive changes. And the question is, you know, sustainability and like how long these things sustain. But they seem to sustain as long as they as long as like the therapist uses that neuroplastic period when someone is on that medicine to actually help the client learn how to take care of themselves, how to exercise, how to work with like through the issues that they've had in their life around trauma, how to process things, how to work on interpersonal relationships, you know, how to meditate, how to eat good food, you know, all these kinds of things that make someone feel good and whole and, you know, how to have fun, how to incorporate joy in your life. Like what a concept like that we could actually be joyful humans and that could be a status quo, you know? Also anxiety, um, 
trauma, of course, like, you know, I think with trauma, a very instinctual and protective response is to turtle. Um, and it makes sense. Uh, and uh, in the right safe context of ketamine with the right person with you, the change in fear response and anxiety response while under the medicine and ability to kind of look at and process difficult material, even if it's difficult, like, you know, we're not pretending that psychedelic sessions are a walk in the park or that they're going to be beautiful, magical rainbows, unicorns sessions, you know, but I mean, they might be okay. But like, if we're really working with stuff, it might be really hard. But the idea is that it would be that much easier to work with that material and with the, with that, you know, medicine as a catalyst and with the right person with you. And then you can kind of move forward with that. So PTSD, complex PTSD, anxiety, and substance use issues. These are, to me, the, these are the, the most promising areas. I know some people feel hopeful about OCD, things like that. Um, some people feel hopeful about bipolar. You know, right now it's, it's, it's counter-indicated. Um, some people feel hopeful about personality disorders. You know, I think... Again, I think anything in the right context with the right human, you know, uh, humans involved and support team involved and dosing and everything, like everything is probably a possibility. But right now there's clear indications for what's what's possible and what's not. Yeah. Ketamine is becoming a popular treatment option for a variety of mental health issues. For anyone that hasn't heard of it, it's an anesthetic that's been widely used in surgery for over 50 years, and it's proven to be very safe. It's described as a dissociative, producing a separation between the mind and body, and it also stops nerve messages about pain to the brain. In the Vietnam War, it was nicknamed the buddy drug because it could be administered by a fellow soldier. Although initially developed as an anesthetic, over the last several decades, ketamine has shown to have greater potential in the field of medicine. And a growing body of research is underway for a variety of illnesses. So we asked Dominique what she knew about the research. I would say that there's been a, a fair bit of research around ketamine itself. Um, so ketamine itself as a meta medicine, um, as an anesthetic, as, um, you know, um, a safe substance that uh, can be used to basically bring people down into, you know, a, a sedated state. Um, you know, paramedics carry it around. Um, it's used in the operating room. Often, you know, people use it with with children with anesthetic as an anesthetic. So, um, with uh, therapy, uh, ketamine with therapy has been. Uh, I would say there have been fewer studies, but there are more and more coming out. Uh, one just came out. Uh, on the use of at-home ketamine, the efficacy of that uh, in a therapeutic context. Um, there was one a, a case study with um, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy for racial racial trauma um, in uh, in uh, with some individuals in uh, Connecticut. Um, and there's been um, a, a, a couple like a couple studies of ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, but they weren't necessarily controlled. Um, and then there was some studies on uh, ketamine for PTSD, but ketamine alone without therapy um, with PTSD that showed efficacy. And then there's been ketamine for depression without therapy, and that shows efficacy. Um, the ketamine with the therapy part is to see if the effects can last longer than the ketamine without the therapy, because 
ketamine without the therapy has a shelf life in terms of its impacts. And I would assume that uh, although this hasn't been explicitly studied, PTSD with ketamine without the therapy, I would assume also has a pretty serious shelf life. At a time of crisis, patients need therapies that offer immediate relief. Psychedelics seem to offer the most promise in this area. In 2021, the results of the MAPS Phase 3 trial with MDMA therapy showed more than two-thirds of participants who took MDMA no longer qualified for a diagnosis of PTSD two months later. But like any treatment, not everyone will experience the same outcomes, and not everyone is a good candidate for psychedelics. For those that are, experiencing some quick relief in their suffering could be what it takes to overcome suicidal thoughts or finally have the breakthrough they were looking for. The key to getting the most out of ketamine is to work with a good therapist, as this has shown to significantly improve the outcomes. Some people, one or two sessions would do it, you know, um, uh, you know, if they had proper support after and proper, you know, kind of self-care and um, different support systems in their life. And other times, you know, I've done a situation where I had to, you know, do like eight to 10 prep sessions, you know, um, and, uh, before we even went into the ketamine and then, um, you know, I prefer to do a session of integration, at least one between every ketamine session, um, so that we're really kind of getting the material out of that session, really bringing it into consciousness, processing it, letting it move, like before we go down into that medicine again. Um, and then, you know, you know, when I do follow-up therapy, like or when I'm working with people with ketamine, it's typically to um, try to really integrate the things that we learned in the ketamine into the big picture and to maintain over the long term. But I know that some people um, probably don't need to do long-term therapy afterwards, you know? And and I would say that that long-term therapy is much shorter um, than it would be like without therapy, without, without ketamine is, is, um, for some people. So I was asking Dominique what the durability of ketamine is, and she gave the perfect answer. It depends how we look at mental health. Okay. Like, I mean, whether it's like part of being human to have problems, you know? Um, so can you get cured of being human? Probably not, you know, like there's always going to be like, what I always say to my clients is like, there's always going to be stress in life. Like there's always going to be obstacles. There's always going to be big challenges that we're working with. And it's more like, how do I cope with that? How do I regulate myself? How do I, you know, attenuate my response, like to those challenges rather than changing the world around us? How can we change ourselves? You know? Um, and so that's what I focus on with people. Um, so cure relative term, I would say. Yeah. This one really hits home. At some point in our lives, we realize the perfect life doesn't exist. Life is ultimately a series of ups and downs, and experts say developing skills that help you navigate daily challenges can help reduce the mental and physical pain. And like Dominic said, it's necessary to address the wounds, but why stop there when we can strive to improve our lives and find more joy? Discussing ways of healing and living life with intention is really what this podcast is all about. What Amy and I have found is we need multiple approaches to healing and integrating important lessons into our lives. I love how Dominic uses mindfulness, exercise, and other strategies in her practice. Back to the subject of ketamine for a minute, and unfortunately, the downside. Even though ketamine is legal in Canada, 
it's expensive, and it's not currently covered by most insurance plans. I would say it's not that accessible right now, to be honest. Uh, you know, I would say it's if you've got money, out of pocket money, you're you're good to go. You know, uh, uh, probably you can, you know, probably see. Um, I mean, it. And again, I'm talking about the major cities. Like, so in major cities, you know, um, if you have money, um, you could probably go to one of the clinics, get a you know, get assessed. And if you're an appropriate fit, you know, you meet the conditions, you can probably go in for some ketamine work. There's some different interesting roads that I've learned about uh, with pain clinics. And so it, in pain clinics is another route um, that actually has some more flexibility in terms of offering ketamine to people that have, you know, chronic pain conditions um, and is actually covered provincially, which is really interesting. So um, at least in Ontario. Um, and so people are allowed that, that fall under the criteria under the pain clinics, like up to six sessions a, a year um, covered by OHIP. Um, but this is not in the, I would say this is not in necessarily in a therapeutic context. So you're going to go in a room, you're going to be surrounded by other people. There's going to be fluorescent lighting. You're going to have no headphones, no blankie, no you know, no music, um, and probably some people clacking away on their computers while you're um, on that uh, IV. And most of that is usually IV. You also have it in emergency rooms, of course. You have it with paramedics. But in terms of like focused ketamine assisted psychotherapy, right now, I think we have a long way to go. Um, I think that there's some people um, like uh, Dr. Pam Criscow, Shannon Dames out in uh, BC that are working on more, you know, accessible models with groups, um, with at home, things like that. But um, I would say we have a, a long way to go. Although the general public may have to wait for broader coverage through their insurance plans, ketamine therapy for veterans is covered by Veterans Affairs on a case-by-case -case basis. Clinics like Field Trip Health have excellent program in partnership with Vanguard Wellness to guide veterans through the process. When it comes to access to MDMA and psilocybin, Health Canada restarted its special access program in early 2022, allowing physicians to request patient access to these drugs. It's on a case-by-case -case basis and reserved for serious treatment-resistant depression and end-of-life illnesses. And from what we've been hearing, it's difficult to get approval. Hopefully, the approvals will pick up as the program develops. It may be slow to start, but it's still a huge step in the right direction and a sign that the Canadian government is taking the potential of psychedelics more seriously. If you're frustrated with the pace of legalization, Dominique explains that we are actually moving at the pace that humans and society are capable of changing. And she feels it's actually a good thing that we aren't moving too fast because it's critically important to get the details right. Things we learn in implementation research is that with any new idea or any new concept, um, without, you know, proper implementation strategy, like this is crazy to say, but it can take 15 to 20 years for a new idea to be implemented into practice. With a strategy, we can reduce that time to like three to five years. So even though it feels so slow, it's actually so in line with how humans implement new ideas over time, as we've seen with so many things. Yeah. And, and I would say necessary delays because like, you know, um, I think we learned within the last few years that we weren't quite ready, that we were like, people were screwing up a lot of stuff. Okay. Um, 
And so, you know, if we're going to do them, we want to do them right. We want to do them with the right people. We want to do them at the right time with the right training. We don't just want to start, you know, um, doing these therapies with anyone for, you know, any reason all the time and then end up with a lot of problems and harms, you know? So if we need to take a step back first, I mean, a lot of people I know in the psychedelics world have actually said, I wish we could put a big pause on the pause button, you know, and, and, and just say, actually, like, let's figure this out. Let's make sure we've really got this good, you know, before we expand more, because we know what happens when you expand. It's like, you know, all of a sudden everybody, you know, the local corner clinic is, is doing it. Not everybody's trained. We we need to have real regulations, understandings, um, clear uh, rules, ethics, boundaries, you know, around these things. Um, ideas about dosing, uh, who's appropriate, all this kind of stuff before we start, you know, letting it loose, I think, because I, I think we're in a world for a world of trouble. If uh, Otherwise, unfortunately, that means that some that we're going to have to wait a little bit while we figure all that stuff out. So before we finished off our conversation with Dominique, we wanted to get our thoughts on microdosing. There's been a lot of buzz lately on this topic, and for anyone who hasn't heard of it, it's essentially the practice of consuming very low, non-hallucinogenic doses of psychedelics like LSD or psilocybin. People are taking it to help with anxiety and depression, and to improve their focus and creativity. Although the research on microdosing is minimal, most of the experts do agree the jury is still out. My thoughts on microdosing are, well, one, it's illegal. Okay. Um, two, <laughs> and, 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 and a lot of people don't know that. Um, and that's, that's, that's really true. You know, I mean, honestly, I've worked with cocaine addiction. I, it's a, it's a specialty of mine. And I've, I've actually had clients who didn't know the cocaine was illegal because it was so available. Um, you know, but microdosing is, uh, is, of, and we're talking about mushrooms, like we're talking about LSD, uh, mostly, you know, um, that's, uh, still you get, you get yourself into trouble with that. But, uh, that being said, um, uh, based on the research that's out there, um, I would say the jury's out right now. I don't think that there's enough evidence to really support microdosing protocols, um, that doesn't mean that a study couldn't come out tomorrow that showed us that, wow, um, microdosing is incredible for X, Y, Z, you know? Um, and I also think that we haven't looked at the potential of microdosing some of these medicines for physical health conditions. And I actually think that, you know, who knows, I would love to be a part of a study, like meaning running it, you know, where, you know, we could potentially look at the impact of, uh, microdosing mushrooms or LSD for chronic pain, for headaches, for, um, you know, neuro neurological, um, conditions, you know, but right now, at least some of the research coming out of Imperial college, London, you know, is showing that there's a powerful placebo effect involved. It appears to be a powerful placebo effect involved in microdosing. And for some people that might be okay. You know, the power of your own mind, helping your own mind is awesome. Right. Like, like to be able to leverage that. Great. I mean, it's hard to give someone a sugar pill as a psychologist and say, Hey, take this uh, Tic Tac and, um, and, uh, take two a day. Call me next week. You're going to be feeling a lot better. People are going to be like, what is this? This is a mint, you know, 
I'm not going to believe this. Um, but you know, there's so much potential in microdosing in the media and the news on TV, on Reddit, you know, that like, um, that, uh, some people might feel really better. I mean, th the studies that have been done have showed that people do feel really better when they're microdosing. They also feel really better when they don't know that what they're microdosing is a placebo. And so there's something to that. And I think we got to look into it. And I think we haven't done enough research. I think like more people are doing some stuff. I think, I, uh, yeah, there's, there's, some, there's more people. There's been more studies coming out. I'm, I'm keeping my eyes. Maybe it makes people really creative. Make it, maybe it makes people really... Sharp. I have no idea. Um, I'm interested in the macrodosing. Let's just say that. Even if it is a placebo effect, that's okay. Like Dominic said, the power of your own mind, helping your own mind, is a wonderful thing. But if you want to go deeper and have a more meaningful and potentially life-changing experience, we agree, a macrodose is necessary. As we were wrapping up our conversation, we asked Dr. Morizano if she wanted to leave us with any last thoughts. Here's what she said. I actually think we have a lot of work to do, um, not just around like changing the stigma around psychedelics. So I think humans often operate at a particular level. You know, um, they get into a flow, they get into like the status quo, they get into like the daily grind. And the idea of an, another kind of life, like the idea of another kind of existence, like one, like we mentioned before, like where there's, where there's joy, there's days that are nine out of 10, 10 out of 10. Like I often talk with my clients and they're like, no, I'm fine. I'm a six out of 10 all the time. I don't remember the last nine out of 10. What? You know, like, uh, like that's just normal, you know? And when we normalize that, that I think that's when we're in trouble, you know? So getting back to the idea that people can be happy, people can be joyful, people can have ups and downs, but like they can be mostly good, you know, like that's the first step. I think that's like a paradigm shift in our society Two, the idea that it's okay to go into alternate states of consciousness is another paradigm shift. Like people are terrified to lose grip with their egos, with their, what they know is real with themselves, with their bodies, with their minds, you know? It can be a, quite a terrifying experience to be taking a medicine and then be also, oh, oh, who am I? Where am I? What am I? What am I doing? What's that? Who's that person? Wait, whoa, you know, like, hold on, hold on. You know, I got to stay here. I got to stay here. Um, and honestly, like, if you don't prepare someone for that, that could be really, that could really mess you up. You know, like it, we're not, a lot of people are not ready. Like they're not prepared they're not prepared mentally, spiritually, philosophically, you know, like logistically uh, to enter into an alternate state of consciousness. So even opening people more up, I know we've been working on it. I know Sharon Salzberg's, Salzberg's been working on it for decades, but like this idea that we can go into an alternate state with anything, meditation, with yoga, with exercise, with being out in nature, da, 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 that it's okay, that it's okay to not be in this consciousness that we put on camera every day you know or on like on our zooms or whatever like in a, in the office so i think first of all like being in an alternate state in general you know normalizing that and then the idea that it's okay to explore those alternate states of consciousness to understand alternate realms to understand what it's like to be in other places experience other realities like i think we need to get there um, so there's a lot of work to be done, in my opinion. Yeah. 
We really enjoyed our talk today with Dr. Dominique Morizano, who brought up some really great points. We most certainly will need a paradigm shift to integrate psychedelics into broader society. The good news is that the research is showing positive results and just one transformational psychedelic session is capable of changing one's mind. So stay positive and open-minded. Progress is happening right now. We love Dominique's optimism for the future of psychedelics and its effect on humanity. I second her outlook of finding a new baseline for joy in our daily life. We are worth it, and there is no time like the present. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Morizano, you can visit her website at drmorizano.com, which we will also include a link in our show notes. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out, please subscribe and rate our podcast and share with your friends. We also ask that you pay special attention to veterans, active military members, first responders, and their families, because most of them are suffering alone and in silence. Let's work together to provide some information that may change their lives. This episode was recorded at the Hemmings House Studios with the help of our producer, Greg Hemmings, and edited by Hayden McNamee, and music provided by audionetwork.com. Please follow our Facebook and Instagram pages for links and more episodes. Thank you and have a great day.